Hello and welcome to Back for More, the podcast where we discuss, debate and speculate a bunch of stories from the footballing world. Now today I'm rejoined by Will Hodgetts, who's back to contribute more permanently to the podcast. Will, how does it feel to be back? Oh, amazing. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to kind of being a more permanent fixture in the in the pod. It's last 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 time out was great fun when we discussed Newcastle. So um, I'm really looking forward to discussing it all again, especially now that football seems like it's going to be starting again very soon. Yeah, I mean, I cannot wait for the Bundesliga action this weekend. We're recording this uh, on the Saturday, so it's Saturday morning. So we're getting the uh, the early football talk in before the Bundesliga comes comes back in. And hopefully we'll, it won't be too long until we see um, some behind-closed-doors fixtures in the Premier League. And with the Premier League in mind, what we're doing today is we're talking about a, a kind of team of the season. Obviously, the season's not completely finished. There's still uh, a bit of action to go. But seeing as we've had this long break, it's a nice opportunity to talk about it. So um, we're going to go for two teams of the season. One, obviously, the first team and uh, a second team of the year, which kind of gets those honourable mentions in there. And how this is going to work, Will, is we're going to each give each other a position um, to add to that team and a short list of players that we've each come up with for for each individual position. So, for example, with goalkeeper, you will be giving me four goalkeepers, and I've got to choose one for the first team and one for the second team. Yeah? Sounds good. Fantastic. And then after that, uh, we'll talk about some uh, some other little accolades and awards that we feel, we feel that we're going to argue about, and um, and then we'll see what you, guys, uh, what you guys think at home. So, to start with, team of the year, Will, goalkeepers, who have you got for me? Yeah, so I think it's uh, four quite obvious selections. Um, and thankfully, and this is something that I'm quite passionate about, is not having too many of those top six teams mentioned in there. So I think this is testament to how these guys have performed so far this year. So we've got Dean Henderson, obviously of Sheffield United, Martin De Bravka at Newcastle, Nick Pope at Burnley, and then Allison, of course, at Liverpool. Yeah, so... I've got I've got a soft spot for all these goalkeepers. I think if if anyone were to say which is the best goalkeeper out of that bunch, you'd have to say Allison. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal for Liverpool, and um, you know his distribution is fantastic. He really fits the mould of Liverpool really well. And obviously, when Adrian did come in, more notably in the Champions League, obviously, um, but Liverpool struggled somewhat. So I can see the argument for Allison, but personally, I'm not going to pick him in either the first team or the second team because I think there are two goalkeepers in particular that really stood out this year. Obviously, I'll start with the first team. The, the The person I picked is Dean Henderson. I think he has taken the league completely by storm this year. He's almost staked a claim to become the, the future England number one. I think particularly after Pickford's horror campaign really this year, he hasn't got going at all. Um, and Henderson's looked looked excellent. And and who knows, maybe Manchester United have got a bit of a decision on their hands as to whether Henderson should be the, the, the future goalkeeper at, at Manchester United, seeing as De Gea has been quite shaky in terms of his form over recent years. So I'm, I'm going with Henderson. They've had the best offensive record um, in the league, Sheffield United, or one of, um, certainly. And um, yeah, the second best defensive record in the league. Um, and... No one expected Sheffield United to have this, you know, this amount of success, and he's epitomised that. Well, there's one person, there's one person that uh, thinks they would have had that success, and that's our friend Alex Goff from Uni. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah massive yeah. Blades fan. Yeah, I actually remember he's bouncing off the walls at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm not surprised. I remember actually first first year of Uni when we when we uh, met Alex. Alex was telling me about how Harry Maguire would one day play for England back when he was at Sheffield United. Um, and then he made, he got his big move to Hull City. And I thought, 
Um, I don't know if Alex is right here. And then obviously ne next couple of years, he, uh, yeah, he was, I was, I was jumping up and down when uh, Maguire scored against Sweden. I was thinking of Alex actually then. So yeah, I'm not surprised. I haven't, I haven't spoken to him for a while actually. I hope he's doing well. Yeah. So if any clubs are listening and you need a scout that can <laughs> pick out a slab head of a centre half, reach out to Alexander Gore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, obviously Henderson is my first pick and. It was a close run thing. I was really, really tempted. In other seasons gone by, I might have picked this person in my first team because arguably I think he's saved more points for this club this year. I think Henderson's been you know, absolutely fantastic. But for the amount of saves he's made, he's topped the league in, in terms of saves made um, with 117. You would argue that, um, that you know, the club that he plays for are, have their backs against the wall for quite a, long, uh, a lot of the, the season. And that is... Martin Dubravka at Newcastle. Um, I think, personally, we, we spoke last time about Newcastle's takeover, I think he's the most solid player in that in that future. I think he shouldn't have anything to worry about in terms of you know new goalkeepers coming in. His his position is pretty nailed on. And, um, and yeah, I've, I've, I've chosen him. Yeah, I, I, if, if it was the other way, if you were asking me, I think I'd completely agree with those two, especially with your sentiments around Dean Henderson. I think... If, if had the Euros happened this year, he should he should have been England's number one, considering, like you say, the season that Jordan Pickford had. I don't think he would have been, just because we know what England managers have been like over the last few years with regards to kind of relying on a more experienced head between the sticks. But I think in terms of shot-stopping ability, he's arguably been the best in the league all season, consistently. Um, and then, like you say as well, I, if I'm Man United, I'm not letting him go back to Sheffield next season. You know, and I'm I'm cashing in on David De Gea because whilst he's still got a little bit of value, um, and I'm putting Dino in between the sticks, which Alex won't be happy to hear. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so I've got the uh, fullbacks for you, Will, which means I'm going to give you eight names because you've got to choose two on the right side, two on the left side for each respective team. Uh, so I've I've given you Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ricardo Pereira, Matt Doherty, Aaron Wambazaka, uh, Andy Robertson, Ben Chilwell. Bukaya Saka and Ender Stevens. They are your names to choose from. Cool. Well, I'll start with the right back position. I think quite straight away, there's two standout performers there. Obviously, you've got Trent Alexander Arnold and then you've got Ricardo Pereira at Liverpool. Um, sorry, Trent Alexander Arnold at Liverpool and then, of course, Ricardo Pereira at Leicester. And they've been the two standout right backs all season. And I think Ricardo Pereira has really been an integral part of Leicester's kind of resurgence back towards the Champions League spaces. Um, but if you're trying to build a team and you, like we're doing currently of the year, you just can't look past the raw talent of Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's arguably the best right back in the world at the moment. Um, and for a kid that's only 21 years old, that's just sensational. And we were talking the other day about the fact that he he reminds us of the old kind of the old Brazilian fullbacks in regards to Cafu and Roberto Carlos on uh, Carlos but, yeah. yeah and Carlos Alberto um, in terms of just bombing up and down that right side and putting balls in the box and everything and you know he's got 13 assists in the league this year which for a right back is just outrageous yeah. You know, you'd be you'd be over the moon if you're attacking midfielder. You, you know, your David Silvers. Um, that that kind of mould we're, we're getting those kind of numbers in the in the assist column, so he's going to have to go in my first team. So quickly before you move on to before you move on to Pereira, just an interesting thought. Do you think because obviously 
Trent Alexander-Arnold has been unbelievable this year in terms of the amount of assists he's got. But do you think that's that's possibly more down to how the fullback position has, has adapted and changed over the years? Do you think there are any fullbacks, you know, uh, in in years gone by who could have amounted that amount of assists but weren't necessarily given the opportunities by the manager? Yeah, I think there's a few kind of wing backs that spring to mind in that in that sense over the last few years that like you say they perhaps haven't been utilized correctly um one that always springs to mind for me is Wainbridge okay because he started he when he started at Southampton that's what he did he would pick up the ball in his own half on the left hand side and he'd do that kind of Bale-esque run down the left wing that we're all familiar with but once he then moved to Chelsea and then of course later with Man City and and the few other clubs he 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 followed that with, he was a just a left back. Mm. You know he was part of a flat back four, um, which was a real shame because I used to love watching Wayne Bridge when I first started watching football games. He was my favourite player. But I mean, you can make a case for so many different players, and I think it's a lot easier to use kind of the international players as an example. You could look at players like Philip Lahm in his yeah. younger days um, with with the German team and with. And with Bayern Munich, you know, it's a case of he was... We've seen he's capable of scoring goals. He's capable of assists. Well, he, yeah, he played in midfield at the latter stage of his career, didn't he? Exactly that. So, you know, there's there's so many players that um, would have benefited from this kind of system that Klopp has kind of brought into Liverpool in terms of just giving the the, the wing-backs free reign. And that's without a, a back five, you know. You think the vast majority of, of managers now who claim in their formations they have wing backs it's really part of either a back five or a midfield five um with with three center halves and it it, it yeah. even though on the face of it you think that's a that's an attacking way of going about things the reality is it's always a more defensive mind set with regards to its setup so um yeah great question it's it's certainly a position that hasn't been utilized between the players that we mentioned from Brazil back in the day and mm. now I think there's been that real gap between those two generations with regards to kind of that utilization of the position well yeah people always follow the model that works don't they and I guess for so many years this Sir Alex Ferguson let's get Gary Neville to to sit back and defend and obviously Neville could whip a an early cross in don't get me wrong but he wasn't exactly the the sort of fullback that was driving to the byline and and smashing low crosses across the box so for so many years people just adopted what seemed to work and then and you know Antonio Conte came in there was that massive season where everything changed he went for the back three had Victor Moses and Marcus Alonso charging forward from from left back and right back and maybe um, I'm sure it started a little bit before then but that's that's possibly the moment for me that stands out as you know the time where maybe managers were thinking right wing backs can win us football matches rather than keep us a draw kind of thing yeah absolutely so second second player i think you've already said at least hinted who you're going to go with yeah it's going to be ricardo Pereira. like i said he's been an integral part of what leicester have done this year um he's been quite possibly their best player and so or certainly their best under the radar player you know the the workhorses that just get the job done they do exactly what you want to a t and i think brendan rogers when he's writing up his team sheet on a on a Friday evening, Ricardo Pereira is the first player on it. Yeah, week in, week out this season. Um, so yeah, I, I, apologies to the other two gents that that you mentioned, but they weren't they were never going to be in this conversation. I think those two are just head and shoulders above everyone else this year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And left backs. So left backs. So I, I think we're going to have to have another Liverpool player on the other side of the pitch to even it up with Andrew Robertson, and that just comes back to what we've just been discussing with regards to that wing back phenomenon. 
um, that's been happening this season with Liverpool and Andrew Robertson again you could argue he's the best left back in the world again someone that is just consistent all the time he plays at the top level whenever he steps on that pitch um, and he's been sensational yeah absolutely phenomenal and second second team so this one's a bit tighter and it's not as going to be as obvious but I think I am going to end up mirroring the clubs uh, and going for Ben Chilwell I'm not the biggest Ben Chilwell fan if, if I'm brutally honest um, I've I went to St Mary's when England were playing there um, last season and he was woeful. He was the worst player on the pitch and he just doesn't quite have that consistency or previously I should say he, he hasn't had that consistency. He could have a great game but then he could be dire for the next five but I think he's knocked that out of his game this season and he's been far more consistent. Um, and again, in a similar vein to Robinson, he's more than happy to bomb up and down that left-hand side um, and create chances or at least start the link-up play. So I guess I better give you some centre-halves. Do it. <laughs> so again, uh, in a similar vein, I'll give you the eight centre-halves that I've shortlisted. Uh, and then if you could give us the two for the first team and then two for the second team. Got yeah. So I've got Virgil van Dijk. I think he might struggle to get into your starting 11 but we'll we'll have a look you know what? if i'm feeling kind if i'm feeling kind maybe yeah yeah maybe and then uh soyonchu and johnny evans both of leicester of course jack o'connell basham both of sheffield united jan bednarek of southampton okay harry Maguire, and americ laporte yeah interesting names there um th- this podcast has a danger of going on forever and ever seeing as we just love talking about football and we've got quite a few you know quite a lot to get through so i'm just gonna park van dyke and say he's definitely going to be in the team no i, I know shock horror. no you don't shock say horror. <laughs> <laughs> um you know i think if i'm honest not only is he in my opinion the best center back in the world right now he's possibly going to be the closest to winning the the ballon d'or for, you know the first defender to do it since cannavaro I, I i can see that happening quite easily he's just been amazing dominant Look at me talking about him again. I've got to stop. Right, Van Dyke's in the team. Um, the next one's interesting. Uh, and again, copying um, copying what you did with the fullbacks, I feel I've got to have a Leicester player in there. Sheffield United, by all means, got to get a shout out there. They'll be in my second team for sure. Um, but it's between Johnny Evans and and uh, Chaglas Suyunku for me. I think on just looking at the stats, it's so difficult because they're so close in terms of what they've achieved. So Yunchu's very much the you know more aerial battles won, the 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 meaty challenges, uh, you know, had that presence I guess a bit more like a Van Dyke, and Evans has been slightly better in terms of his um, in terms of his sort of pass completion and that kind of thing. I'm gonna go with Suyunchu as my as my pick mainly because and it might be a heart over head situation this one, um, but I just feel that when Maguire left for Manchester United. Leicester, maybe not Leicester fans per se, but a lot of a lot of people around around the country thought you know Leicester would really suffer, wouldn't have their you know their their strong centre back defending for them like they like he did in previous seasons, and so Yunchu's come in, and to be honest, I think he's been as good if not better than Maguire. Um, he's he's got such a presence, he's got such a calmness on the ball, which is so important for a centre back in in um, Rogers' systems. So I'm going with Yunchu, and then I'm going with Evans in my second team. Um, so now I'm stuck with a fourth centre back. Um, Maguire and Laporte aren't going to be in my in my second team. Laporte's had too many injuries. I think he's so important to Manchester City. 
I think he's um, you know, he's in the conversation for the next best centre back in the league after Van Dyke, possibly. But he, he's just been too too injury prone this year. And with Maguire, he he may have got the armband at Manchester United. He may have shored up some issues defensively, but he's not been sensational by any means. So those two won't be in 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 the centre back conversation for me. I'm stuck between the two Sheffield United. Um, oh, and I'll give a little shout out for Bednarek, of course. Um, Will loves to remind me that Bednarek has got the most clearances this year, um, which which obviously speaks volumes about a fantastic defender. Go on, Will. You 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 make the case for Bednarek. It's the it's the John Smith football, you know the the old the old Peter K advert. Have it, you know, just clear your lines, lads. <laughs> to be fair, I love a defender like that. Yeah, get the ball away from the goal. You know, just better safe than sorry. And when you've let in as many goals as Southampton have been over the last twelve months, someone like that who's happy to just throw caution to the wind and just belt the ball anywhere is quite a happy sight to see for a Southampton fan he's he has led the league in clearances and as a as a defender and as a fan you don't want the ball near the goal that you're defending you know and if if you've got someone that can get it away then 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 that's great so I knew I knew you wouldn't pick him because you're biased but Um, you know it's (laughs) (laughs) well I I don't know if you noticed I don't know if you noticed but I threw a little um Ex Portsmouth player in the uh, in the left backs in Ender Stevens. He was playing for us in League One only about three or four years ago. So I've been I've been quite pleased with his development at Sheffield United. So that's a little yeah, a little bit of bias there perhaps. But um... never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no no look, it's it's not it's not a bias. I actually think he's a very good player. And um, I mean next to players like Vestergaard, who've just been in my opinion absolute donkeys. At the you know back for Southampton, <laughs> absolutely agree. <laughs> um, he's been he's been sensational and and possibly you know without without you know solid defence, Danny Ings's goals wouldn't have mattered. You wouldn't have climbed up the up the table quite quite so much. So I, yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I get the argument and I think he deserves to be in the conversation. But when you're talking about the best centre backs in the league, you've got to be talking about the best defensive records, the most consistent over a long period of time. Um, so I've gone with Jack O'Connell at Sheffield United. It was much of a muchness between him and Basham. The only reason I've gone with O'Connell is I just think on a hair, he's better than Basham going forward. Um, and obviously Sheffield United have gone with this overlapping centre-back system, which has been incredibly interesting to see. O'Connell is still incredibly good defensively. He's helped so much with the um, with organising that back five and, and, and keeping, keeping Sheffield United's defensive record pristine throughout the year but also going forward he's great at link-up play working with the centre midfielders to, to to you know start start out attacks and things so that's why I've gone with O'Connell so that leaves me with Van Dyke, Suyunchu as my first team and Johnny Evans and Jack O'Connell as my second team. I like that a lot and I completely agree with you with regards to it. you just need a Sheffield United player yeah. in, in one of those back fours whether in the first team or the second team because they have just been sensational you know and um, Chris Wilder has been just revolutionary with the guy, the way that he set that team up, um, and you know their defensive record speaks volumes. And that's that's a team that it's their first team, it's their first time back in the Premier League. They they shouldn't be the second best defensive team in the league, but they are. So um, yeah, no, I, I I would probably have picked the same players that you did. Fantastic. Um, so now we're on to central midfielders, and we're going with a four three three because most of these teams of the year in the last five years have been four three three. Which means now you've got central midfield, so you've got a choice of three midfielders from this list of twelve. Math serves me <laughs> these, correctly. These lists are getting bigger and bigger, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they really are. 
Oh, God. But I've tried to mix it up with a, a range of defensive midfielders and attacking midfielders for you to choose from. If I've, I've, if I've, if I've made the wrong call, shoot me. I don't know. Claim claim that there should be someone else in there. But these, this is the 12 that I've picked out as a mixture of holding midfielders and more advanced midfielders, at least put it that way. So 12 names for you here. I've got Ndidi, Fabinho, Scott McTominay, Jorginho from Chelsea, Henderson, obviously from Liverpool, Kevin De Bruyne, Madison, Bruno Fernandes after only five games, but I thought I'd throw him in there, Kovacic, John Fleck, Jean Moutinho and fantasy football legend John Lundstrom. It's interesting because when I was thinking about when I was drawing up my team, there's some names there that I didn't even consider. But then when you when you mention them, it's it, they should absolutely be in the conversation. I think Matteo Kovacic, um, I think he's arguably been Chelsea's best player alongside William this year. Um, and I th- Chelsea have been one of those teams that no one's talked about, but they're fourth. You know they're in they're, they're in the Champions League spaces. Frank Lampard's done an incredible job with a with a re- relatively young team. Um, so he won't be in my t- he won't be in neither of my teams, but he's an honourable mention that I'd like to put out there. Uh, and as we said previous, as you said previously with uh, with Van Dijk, in the interest of time, uh, I'm just going to throw Jordan Henderson straight in my first team. He's been the 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 battery in Klopp's watch. Um, it's similar to that kind of Makaleli role, uh, but he's just a, a workhorse, box to box. Uh, he's an integral part of that spine, and he's widely tutored to be the the player of the year for this season. So he's straight in there. Um, then the next player is going to be Wilfred Ndidi. He'll be my kind of holding player there. He's been the best holding midfielder in the league, um, and for a player that's only 22 years old. He's just been sensational and just played well and above his years in terms of how experienced he's looked when he's on the ball and when he's been challenging um, opposition players and just kind of making Leicester tick in that very much um, a Busquets role at kind of the base of that midfield. Yeah, I mean, they were terrible. They were terrible when he wasn't in the side. I mean, you know, they were unbelievable. And then he got injured and then everything fell apart because, you know, I think... Rogers almost plays with a 4-1-4-1, doesn't he? And those four midfielders basically were like, oh, I don't really need to defend because I've got Wilfred behind me who's just going to mop up and do everything. So, um, oh, 100% deserves to be in the in the team, I think. Indeed, E. Indeed, E. Throw that one in there. We're not just a football podcast, we're a comedy one too. <laughs> Get him the mic. Um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly on. But actually, no, just one final point on that. You, you look at... You look at the best teams in the Premier League, or you could even argue in the in world football over the last ten years. Actually, all of those teams have had that base, that anchor in midfield, who has gone under the radar, doesn't get all the plaudits that your Lionel Messi's do, that your Mahrez's do during Leicester's um, title-winning run. Um, but you know, Ndidi has filled that Kante role to perfection for Leicester. You know. Most important player in Pep Guardiola's team over the last few years, Fernandinho for me. I mean, absolutely. You know, and possibly you can make an argument that the fact that Fernandinho has been moved back into centre back this year, they've not had that that kind of anchor in midfield to really run, run things. And I used to watch City and get so frustrated. They'd be on on attack, committing every man forward. The other team breaks. Fernandinho, little cheeky trip, not enough to get a booking. And and you know he just did that all game long. It was it was sensational. So you know even you know you said it's it's been the case for years and years. But even most recently, I think 
Fernandinho is the perfect example of why you need such a, a solid defensive midfielder in your team. Absolutely. Yeah, so the the third player I'm going to throw in there is Kevin De Bruyne. You know, he's only missed two games this season. He's been incredibly consistent the whole year and he's been you could you could quite easily make a case and you have actually in our conversations for the fact that he could be the the best midfielder in world football right now, especially when you consider his form over the last few months. So um, I don't think I need to explain too much more as to why he's in the team. He's he's just sensational, you know. He's got everything. He's got so many strings to his bow in that attacking half of the of the pitch. So yeah, Jordan Henson, Wilfred Ndidi, and Kevin De Bruyne are going to be in my first team. So it's now getting on to the to the second team. This is really interesting. I, I know who I pick, but um, I have a feeling you're not going to go what I, with what I pick, which is quite interesting because um, obviously we've been quite similar so far. So yeah, with the second team, I think the first choice is going to be James Madison um, in that kind of attacking in that attacking role, similar to where I'd have Kevin De Bruyne in my first team. Um, I think if you speak to any Leicester player, uh, you know I've seen interviews with the likes of of Chilwell and and Schmeichel, and they all say that he is the best player at that football club. You know, in terms of technical ability, uh, and you know, I was unfortunate enough to witness the 9-0 drubbing at St Mary's and he was integral in in that you know pulling the strings in the gap between the midfield and and the defense in terms of Southampton's positioning um and you know he'll, he he can chip in with a good free kick you know he he he's got many strings as well I think there's a there's a case that can be made that he could be that creative midfielder that England have have been missing um so I think he's got an incredible future ahead of him I think his his future could even lie away from away from Leicester in a few years. I think he'll be there for for a, a few more seasons yet. But I think there are there's one big step um, left to be made in his career in terms of club football. So he's going to be my attacking midfielder. Um, the as you said, the fantasy football legend that's John Lundstrom is going to be my kind of holding player uh, again. That anchor um, again. He's been instrumental in in what Sheffield United have been doing this year. Um, and again, going back to our friend Alex, he's a massive, massive John Lundstrom fan, and you can see why when you watch them. Um, he's he's just sensational, uh, and makes them tick. You know, again, similar to what we've been saying about you need a player that can make you tick in midfield, and he's that for Sheffield United, and a huge reason as to why they're they're fighting for European football for next season. Yeah, what's well, been quite interesting because I've I've followed John Lundstrom massively this season, seeing as I had him in right from the start of my fantasy football um, team. I nabbed him at four million, which for those of you who don't play fantasy football is is the lowest price price there is. Because I heard that despite being listed as a defender, he'd been playing pre-season as an attacking midfielder and just been given the number seven shirt. So uh, I thought, well, it's worth a punt as as, as this midfield uh, as as a kind of attacking defender, I guess, who could get me some extra points. So I followed him every every step of the way, and I think there there is a a um, an argument to be said in that John Lundstrom's actually been dropped the last sort of month or so. Um, now, this is mainly down to Bezic coming in um, and, and shoring up some options more defensively uh, and, 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 and that kind of thing. So I do agree with the pick. I think Lundstrom has to be in there. He's, he's, he's been sensational this year for Sheffield United. But I think there'll be some other Sheffield United fans who may make a case for John Fleck. Um, you know, if, if, if there is to be a Sheffield United player in there, Possibly John Fleck gets a mention. Um, we don't need to debate it too much, um, but I thought I'd say that at least on the Lundstrom case. 
Well, I still have I still have one space left in my team. Very true. To that to Very that true. to that note with with John Fleck. But you're right. I'm not going to pick him. So unfortunately, <laughs> he, he. But he has come in with some incredibly important goals this year for Sheffield United, and he has been a very, very good player for them. And when I went to watch Southampton and, and Sheffield United at at Bramall Lane, he was arguably their best player on the day, despite the fact they lost one 0 Get in. Um, so the player that I'm going to put in as my final midfielder in my second team is a player that's only played five games of Premier League football. Oh, you're not doing it. You're not. Surely not. I'm doing it. Bruno Fernandes. Oh. Okay. It's... Well, this is where we disagree, but go on, make your case. <laughs> well, it's, it's just he has revolutionised that Man United team since he's come in. And he has been their best player by a country mile. He has been that impact player that they were hoping Pogba would be when they you know, broke the world records fee for, for the mid, for the midfielder he has just been sensational I, I don't I'm not a Man United fan I don't enjoy watching them but he is so fun to watch he ju- he can just do anything he's a magician with the ball and I appreciate that there are going to be players that have played the whole season that are going to be hard done by by that selection but I I just rate him so highly so highly so I mean it's it's a case of like I said those five games he has revolutionised that Man United team uh, and just given them that new lease of life. So that's why I've put him in there. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's been incredible every single minute he's played for Manchester United. I mean, there's no no denying that. I just feel that in any other team of the season, if you had a player who was injured all of the season and then came back for the final five games and did incredibly well, you, they, they wouldn't be anywhere near the conversation whatsoever. And I do get, right, I do get that the whole like revolutionising Manchester United argument and all of that, but I'd rather see it given, um, and I'll obviously make my case later when we talk about some other little accolades. But I'd rather see a player like Scott McTominay in there. I think he's he's been the most consistent player for Manchester United over the season. He's he's improved on leaps and bounds. He's a perfect role player, um, and I I quite I quite like to see him him in that team. I do get don't get me wrong. Fernandez will be 100% the um you know in the team next year I think unless injuries get in the way or he or the honeymoon phase ends or whatever but um there's no denying his talent for me after 5 games you just can't put him in there yeah that's why I kind of I I had to amanar about this selection so much yeah. and that was obviously the main reason as to why in the list of cons to choosing him that 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 was the main reason um, but I thought, why not? Let's have a bit of let's have a bit of controversy. Yeah, let's get the people talking. You know, why not? <laughs> Stir up conversation. Absolutely. Go on then, wingers. Right. So, wingers indeed. So I'm going to give you eight wingers. So we're going to shorten the list back down to eight. Yeah. Um. So I need two two wingers. Um. For your first team and two wingers for your second team. So I've got Salah, Adama Traore, Riyad Mahrez, William, Mane. Abamyang, Grealish, and Barnes. Okay. Oh, that's tough. It is, isn't it? I'm already. I'm, I'm. I'm. For some reason, I'm thinking left wings tougher than right wing. I completely agree. I completely agree. I don't think there have been many standout right wingers this year. Whereas left wing has been just so deep in terms of yeah, the, the number of players that have been sensational. Whether I could. No, I can't do that. And whether I can try and claim that one of them is a right winger, but it's fine. No, they do that in team of the year every time. You see. You see all these pundits with their team of the year. Shearer's got them for a four-two-four. 
<laughs> but never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Indeed. Um, he, he was a striker. I'll let him off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, no. Okay, so my first name on the list, I'll start with left wing if that's okay. I'm going to go for Sadio Mane. I think he has become, in my opinion, Liverpool's best attacking player. Maybe not most important attacking player. I think that there's a case to be to be made for Roberto Firmino and, and how he sort of gels the team together and, and that kind of thing. But Mane's really turned up in big games this year. He's gone from strength to strength. I remember when he was at, at, at Southampton, he kind of seemed like that player that at half the time didn't even know what he was doing, um, charging at players and, and sometimes not making the correct decisions. And obviously he was always a good player, don't get me wrong, but going from good to absolutely world-class. And I think he's made that leap this year. He's he's one of my favourite players to watch in the league. I get excited every time he gets on the ball. I know you're going to talk about him a lot later, Will, so I won't I won't go into too much depth. But but Sadio Mane is going to be going to be my sort of first name on the team sheet in terms of wingers this year. And on the right wing, I was thinking, you know, could I maybe make an argument for another player who plays left wing pushed out to the right? But I can't. You know, we've already established that, and therefore it's got to be Mo Salah. You know, um, Liverpool this season, I, I know it's really, really annoying sometimes when you just see one team dominate the team of the year. But if there's any year to do it, let's make it this year. You know, we've got Liverpool 25 points clear of a Pep Guardiola Manchester City side. They've been incredible in attack and in defence. And Salah's been a big part of it. You can't deny it. People always say or like to say, certainly after his 32 goal season, that he's been slightly off and not at his best, but he's been he's been up there this year for for, for sure. Got through a niggle with his ankle um, around Christmas time, and and managed to play through that injury. And Liverpool really don't have the deepest squad necessarily in that front three. I know they've got quite a lot of midfielders. Shakiri's been out all year, um, I think at least. Um, and Origi kind of can play anywhere in the in the in the front three, but. You would prefer him to play either left wing or up front rather than right wing, I would say. So Salah's needed to play every single one of those games, and he has. Mane and Salah, sorry if it's a bit boring, um, but they're my first team. And the second team is going to be Jack Grealish. Oh, no. Now, no. No, I, think, I, think, I think it has to be, right? Now, firstly... If, if Aubameyang was listed as a striker, I'd make a case for him. But unfortunately, he hasn't landed in that section. Um, instead, he's on left wing. And I, I get the reason why we've put him at left wing, because he kind of has played his best football there recently. But my my issue with with Aubameyang is he's he's very much that player that just ticks over for a world-class player. He doesn't necessarily set the world alight. He does get the important goals. And maybe maybe I'm a bit of a villain as it were for for thinking of him in in this way because he's just been so sensational over so many years but speaking of villains i'm going to be putting jack Grealish in all right he has he has been by far the greatest player in the bottom half of the table this year i, I, I think anyone can can have can have it out of that he's been okay you can make your case make your case later will um you make your case later yeah, i'm sat Jack, i'm sat here in anticipation of being able you to, are uh, i can tell the silence him down the, si- the silence <laughs> says it all <laughs> um no look aston villa being quite possibly the worst offensive team in the league this year by yeah by almost a, a, a good stretch Without his input on in in making the team tick, they'd be nowhere near where they are. Absolutely nowhere near where they are. He, he deserves every single bit of praise, and every time I see him, he is 
the central piece to to what Aston Villa do. He's their captain. He's their leader. We we've already established that means makes a difference when you know you come to talk about players like Jordan Henderson and things like that. I think I think he has to be in there. And without Grealish, Villa would be looking at a Derby two thousand and seven season. Genuinely, they would be languishing far far behind. Um, and is it fair to punish someone for being sensational in a bottom half side? I don't think so. Not at all. Um, but go on. You, I know you've got roots with Birmingham City, <laughs> so make your case against Aston Villa. No, go it, does, on. it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe maybe there is an unconscious bias there. Um, but I, I've watched Jack Grealish a fair amount. I'm not going to say that I've watched a lot of him because I haven't, but I've watched a fair amount. And... He's just the best player in an atrocious team, in my opinion. Obviously, I, and I think, but I think far, far more people disagree with me than agree with me on that. Um, other than my dad, but he's a Birmingham City supporter. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think that he's just been made to look so much better than he perhaps has been this year due to the players that have been around him being so poor. How about this? How about this, Will? All right. In a year's time, half a year's time, whenever the football comes back back in and we've seen him for long enough, if Grealish gets his move, moves to somewhere like United and, and is absolutely trash or very at least very average, I'll take back what I've said this season and I'll put in a Bamiang. How about that? Will that satisfy <laughs> Will that satisfy you? But for right, right now, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll... right now, we're putting in Grealish. Yeah, no, that's that, and that's that's fine. And you know what? It would actually. I would actually have be I'd be more satisfied if he got his move and was sensational mm. because I think he's he's got all the potential to be a world class attacking midfielder in that kind of free flowing central role. Um, you know he's been pushed out to the left for for Villa. I don't think that's his best position, but I I disagree. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I think because I, I agree with you that he's better centrally, but by putting him left wing. He hasn't got to worry nearly as much in, in terms of his defensive responsibilities, and therefore he can he can float around around the box. He's got way more freedom. Um, I, th- I think that I think it's his it's his best position in Aston Villa's current system. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's that's the point I was I was going to go on to make. You know, in, in the way that they're set up, that's definitely the role that he needs to play in that team. Um, you know, and that's why that he's 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 forced his way into your into your second team of the year. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just think it, over the next few years, as and when he gets his move, I'd love to see him in that real attacking central midfielder role that he can then fight with James Madison for for an England starting uh, starting berth in in you know the next few international tournaments. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, so we've, we're left with strikers, and because of a four three three, will you've only got one name here that you can can say per team? Jamie, Jamie Vardy. Sergio Aguero, Danny Ings, and Raúl Jiménez. Cool. Pick your two players. Yeah, so I think it goes back to what you said earlier, guys. It's 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 uh, it's one of those years where one or two teams dominate, but for very very good reasons. And I think it's funny that when we we decided to come up with this idea for for this episode, we said we want to do an honest one. You know, it's it's always been a case yeah. of the, the the top six teams have always dominated or the top two or three teams have always dominated the team of the year. But then when you come to actually draw it up, especially for this season, that's you can absolutely see why with regards to the to, to Liverpool and and Leicester. Um and on that note it's gonna be it's gonna be Jamie Vardy. He's Back, he's been Jamie Vardy of old. You know, he's been he's been title winner Jamie Vardy in terms of the form and, and his ability this year, and he's just been their their talisman up top 
um, to to score the goals that have put them into the position that they're now in. I, I don't think I need to say much more on that. I think he's been the best striker um, in terms of form and consistency all season long. Of course, usually you would you would make that case for for Aguero, um, but I think this year it, it, it has to be um, Jamie Vardy without a shadow of a doubt. So. It then brings me on to the second team. And I'm so glad I got the strikers. Oh, it's as if it was planned. I know, right? Remember when I asked you which positions would you like to debate? And you were like, oh, I'll, I'll, send, you, I'll send you who you can do and you can send me who, who yeah, I can do. <laughs> it's the fact that I wrote it down and I had to make sure that it was, these are the teams that we're, these are the positions we're arguing for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, look. I think that Sergio Aguero is one of the top two or three strikers in world football. Yeah. And I think he has been over the last 10 years, you know, ever since he signed for Man City and scored the hat-trick on his debut, you know, he, he's been he's been that guy that when you talk about the best strikers in the world, he's always in that conversation. I Look, I know there is some there is bias there, but it does come back to... The conversation that we had earlier when we were briefly talking about Jan Bednarek and that's the fact that without this man's goals Southampton would be probably in a mm. similar similar position to where you say Aston Villa would be without without Jack Grealish you know yeah and that's it isn't it I mean my 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 opinion with Danny Ings is he's just a very good player in an atrocious team <laughs> <laughs> well the thing is if you said that to, if you if you'd said that to me six months ago I completely agree with you <laughs> I'm just very no, I'm, only joking. I'm just I'm very, joking. very glad that over since since the nine nil drubbing to Leicester that um Ralph's been able to turn it around and the likes of Ward Prowse and and others have been able to step up. But um but no, it in a, it's a very similar to our argument to what you made for Grealish in terms of what I'm making for Danny Ings for um for this position and, and what he's done for Southampton this year. And you know, let's not forget that he's he scored he scored fifteen very, very important goals and he is the second highest England English scorer in in um. He must be, I think, in the league. He must be I off think. the top of my head, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, behind behind Jamie Vardy. So it's always nice to have an English contingent in in the team of the year. But yeah, he's he's just been sensational. I think he's got. I, th- I even think I saw somewhere. I don't have the 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 figures to hand, unfortunately. But I think he might have one of the best conversion rates in the league, as well with regards to chances taken. He's he's been he's been incredible. I mean, it, you can't you can't deny it. He's been incredible, I, and I think if I'm looking at those four names, and I, I don't this, don't mean any disrespect to Danny Ings whatsoever, and you may hugely disagree, but looking at Vardy, Aguero, Jimenez, and Ings, Ings has nowhere near the amount of quality as the other four do, or other three do. Sorry, I think Raúl Jimenez personally could be playing for a for a much higher side than Wolves. I don't want him to move, but I think he could be. Whereas I don't think Ings necessarily could lead the line at at, at, a, at a you know a top six side, for example. But having said that, he's 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 played out of this world this year. He really has, and he's, as you say, the importance of his goals. It's nice to field. It's nice to get some players in there that that aren't just your top six every time or your top top half. Um, I can rest easy with Ings in there. Personally, I'd have gone for Aguero. Quickly make the case. His um goals per game ratio is just ridiculous, and every time he's called upon by Pep, he he delivers. And there's not much more to say really other than that. Um, I think if you if you look at it and say, well, Aguero didn't lead Manchester City to where they wanted to be this year, but Ings got Southampton out of a hole and got them to where they want to be this year. And I think it, I'm fine. I'm happy with Ings in there, to be honest. Yeah, I think it was a toss of a coin between the two. 
Um, yeah. But I think there's that that latter point you've just made is the perfect one for 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 this kind of argument between the two players. Um, so yeah, so gone with gone with Danny Ings there, um, and and what it's funny what you said there about him being unable to to lead a line. Um, and I completely agree in this formation, you know, in a 4-3-3 that we're doing a team of the year. Um, Ings wouldn't be able to do that. He, the only reason he's been able to be the player he has this year is because of the world-class strike partner he has in Shane Long. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think, I think there's, a place in a, there's a place in a Premier League team for Shane Long. He works so hard. Um, but he's, he's... He could get in any team in the world. <laughs> He might not start. He might not even be on the bench. But he could get in oh, any team. Oh, he could get in any team. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I, I think I think it's it, we, we've said enough, haven't we? Um, I think that's a that's a fair a fair argument on Danny Ings. So that leaves us with a first team of Henderson in goal, right back Alexander Arnold, centre backs Suyuncu and Virgil Van Dijk, left back Robertson, midfield three of Ndidi. Jordan Henderson, Kevin De Bruyne, front three of Mo Salah, Sadio Mane on the left, and up front Jamie Vardy. Second team. Do you want to whittle off the second team or shall I? <laughs> How's your memory? Are, yeah, I was going to say it's nerves of remembering it all. <laughs> uh, the goalkeeper was uh, Martin Dubravka, right back Ricardo Pereira, centre backs Jack O'Connell, and uh, Johnny Evans, left back was Ben Chilwell. <laughs> Midfielders, here we go. Oh, this is this is where we get midfielders. This is harder than the quiz last re- time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the midfielders were James Madison, uh, John Lundstrom, and Bruno Fernandez, and then the wingers were Jack Grealish. Who was on the right? <laughs> we didn't talk about it. Yeah, we didn't talk about it. Let me talk about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Adar- I'm going to put Adama Traore in right. there. Um, I'll put Adama Traore in there. Let's we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that. Um, there, yeah, we, we completely <laughs> forgot, didn't we? Adama Traore, he's been sensational this year. Um, he's established himself in a team. He's he's even changed the formation of Wolves. They played three five two last season, and Traore was was so good that um, that Wolves opted for a for a three four three with him as one of the wide players. He looks dangerous every time he gets the ball. I'm not going to talk about him for too long because obviously he wasn't that great because I forgot about him. Um, but <laughs> um, but yeah, right winger. Let's put let's put Adama Traoré in there in the second team, and then leading the line, of course, Danny Ings. So that those yeah. are our two teams of the year. Excellent. Um, so I think we can have to make as light work of, the, of this as possible because we've spoken a lot about the Premier League um, teams of the year. Uh, but what we thought is. Because we're both big fans of the NBA as well, aren't we, Will? Indeed. Um, we quite like we quite like the the end of season awards that they do. You know, MVP, Coach of the Year, that kind of thing. So we've picked some some different awards and accolades that we can give. We're each going to argue a different player, um, and then what we want you guys to do is decide on the polls that we eventually put out there. So the first the first award is for offensive player of the year, best attacking player of the year, Will. Start it off, a brief argument, off you go. Sadio Mane. He's the best winger in the world currently, in my opinion. Um, and as you said previously, you know he's he's been Liverpool's biggest attacking threat and arguably their most valuable player in the attacking half of the pitch. So they, they certainly wouldn't be as dominant this year as they have been without that man. 
Very nice. I'm going to go with Kevin De Bruyne. I know that he hasn't been able to bring Manchester City to glory, but you never know that he could have done in the Champions League. I know this is a Premier League team, but but still. Um, in the Premier League, he's made 16 assists and he's got 11 games to play. So with only four more to beat Thierry Henry's record, if he keeps going at the rate he's going, he's looking at getting roughly about 22 assists for the season, which would smash the, the, the record for the most assists in the Premier League season. He's also scored eight goals in very important matches this year. Um, you think of the two he scored against Arsenal. Uh, he scored one against Chelsea as well. And he's hit the bar four times. So if you think about the fact that those goals could have gone in, he could be looking at 12 goals, 16 assists, which for a central midfield player is unbelievable. Yeah. Kevin De Bruyne should be given the accolade of best offensive player in the league this year. Um, defensive player of the year. You can you can start with your um, your pick. So my pick for defensive player of the year is um, a player we've talked a lot about today, and that's Soyuncu at Leicester. I think the point you made earlier with regards to the fact that a lot of people thought that Leicester were going to really, really struggle after losing Harry Maguire to Man United, and they haven't because of this man. Um, you know, he has just been the defensive rock. He he wins any aerial battle that comes into his, his kind of zone whilst defending. He just looks solid. You wouldn't want to run into him. You know, he just looks... He's a, he's an ox. You know, I was, I was listening to to Peter Kraut the other day and he was describing the fact that you have an ox and a gazelle in, in at, at centre-back. And Soyuncu is the ox. He's just a brute. And he's that unassuming guy as well. He just gets the job done and does the dirty work. Um, so he's not going to win this poll at all because I know who you're going to pick. Yeah. Um, but I thought I'd make my case for him there. Well, yeah, it's interesting what you say about oxes and gazelles because if Soyuncu's the ox in our team of the year... I think there's a pretty beefy gazelle that we've got next to him if, uh, with, with, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with, um, with Virgil van Dijk. Um, but but still, so we, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go obviously with van Dijk. It's, it's just the easiest thing to argue, really. He's been absolutely sensational for so, so many years for Liverpool since he's joined. But this year in particular, he's taken them to that next level. Um, they've dominated the league. He's been the central point in terms of their defensive sturdiness and sureness I guess uh, I mentioned earlier about the Ballon d'Or and how I, I feel he could he could quite easily win it for the first time a defender winning it since 2006 and he doesn't have a weakness he genuinely doesn't have a weakness great from corners strong in the air technically gifted most passes in the league out of any player by 500 passes so he's passed more than any other player in the league this year showing he can go forward well Van Dijk for me 100%. And for me, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not how this works. You've got to no, think of someone. So, uh, I think that's going to be a very it's going to be a very one horse race that one, but yeah, no um those are our two players for your 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 options for for defensive player of the year. This this one is going to be really interesting because I've I've jacked this argument, all right? Cuz I really want my player to win, but we'll go with this signing of the year. Will who are you going for? Bruno Fernandes. I think it just comes down to the fact that yes, okay, he's only played five games, but in terms of what you want a signing to be and what you want a signing to do, which is take you to the next level and revolutionise your team and give you a new lease of life, he's ticked every single box and more in terms of what you would want from a new signing. And and Man United wouldn't be in with a sniff of where they are currently. Um, and 
if it wasn't for this guy and, and that's just been over a case of five games you think what he he could have done had they signed him in the summer um you know man united would be quite comfortably i'd imagine looking at fighting for for champions league football and fighting, fighting chelsea for that fourth spot um i think he's been that good so yeah he's he he's going to be my my case for for signing of the year and i think he's got a good shot of of getting it despite those five games but i am so looking forward to your argument for your player because i know i know who it is so um yeah ben who's your choice for signing of the year yeah, so my player that I've gone for is Jordan Ayew of Crystal Palace. See now, th- this is this is incredible because we're going to get people listening that are going to go, "What? Yeah, what? Before you Why? turn, before you turn off, yeah, or mute my voice <laughs> and wait until Will speaks again. Listen, <laughs> listen to this, right? So obviously, quickly, Fernandez, he's been sensational, but he's played five games, right? How can we really judge a signing over five games? Is going to be my argument here. How can we truly judge a, a signing on that? Also, he went for an incredible amount, okay, in the grand scheme of things, if you compare it to the absolute sniff <laughs> that Crystal Palace got uh, Jordan Ayew for, okay? Ah. So, yes, we, we have got Jordan Ayew signed this summer for 2.5, yes, you heard that right, 2.5 million um, from Swansea, and he scored eight goals this year, which may not seem that much, but when you take into account the importance of those goals, Jordan Ayew has given Palace 14 points this year. Crazy. Crazy. He has scored he has scored the only goal in 3-1-0 wins. He scored <laughs> either <laughs> That's such a great Crystal Palace stat, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? It's so good. <laughs> um he scored either the first or last goal in two in three two one wins. And he scored the equaliser in both of their draws against Arsenal. So when you tot all of that up he has given Palace 14 points this season. If you if you take that points per pound or whatever, he is arguably the, one of the greatest signings of this decade. <laughs> let alone, well, the decade's only just started, hasn't yeah, it? But, yeah. He wasn't even signed <laughs> in this decade. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Of the last decade, one of those signings. Without Ayu, Palace would be in the bo- in the bottom three in the relegation zone and would have the worst attacking record in the league case closed yeah and you know what i i absolutely love the argument because i let's be honest palace signed jordan Ayew just to have a striker in the squad yeah that was literally the reason yeah. they signed him because he did nothing for swansea yeah you know his he brother was, he was pretty was... good wasn't he at a time let's let's sign yeah. let's sign jordan rather than andre yeah exactly <laughs> i'll only come if you sign my little brother um <laughs> you know he was just the Crystal Palace fans must have been thinking, what have we done? But um, yeah, he has just been incredible. And let's not forget, he scored one of the goals of the season. Yeah, that chip. He, Are you talking about that chip? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, he. it was just one of the best goals I've seen in um, in recent years. It was very, very Letitia-esque, which is why I enjoyed it. Um, but I'll, I'll stop bringing Southampton players into this <laughs> podcast for this episode. Look, I really like that argument you've put forward for him, and I, I would, I, even though I'd love my pick to win, just because it's we're both competitive. Yeah. <laughs> um. I if if I if Jordan Ayew wins that, I will be delighted because I think it's such a great shout, and I don't think anyone else would have thought of it. Yeah. Cheers. So, graduate of the year. This is an award that's quite difficult. We tried to do it almost like rookie of the year in the NBA, um, where the 
you know a youngster comes through or uh, someone who they've they've got through the NBA draft has come in and done really really well. Um, obviously, the, the, with football working out the way it does, it doesn't quite work out like that. So instead, we've gone with graduate of the year, which basically means you, in order to qualify, you have to be pretty much in the early stages of your career still, with a long you know a lot of, a long way to go, and you have to have gone through the academy of the club that you're currently playing for. Okay, so Will, who have you gone for? I've gone for Dominic Calvert-Lewin at Everton. Nice call. Um, yeah, he's been one of those players that Carlo Ancelotti has hung his hat on. I think it's a case of he is the first name on uh, Ancelotti's team list on a, on a Friday night now because of how he's been performing since um, since he took over the reins there, and he's just been scoring goals for fun since since the new manager came in. He scored thirteen goals this season. Like, I would never have thought that he'd scored that many. He's just done it so quickly and over a short space of time. But yeah, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, in terms of a, a, a academy graduate who has had an incredible year, he w- he was the one that stood stood out for me. Cool. Well, I've gone for Bukayo Saka from Arsenal. Um, now, the reason I've gone for Saka is firstly because he really is in his early stage of his career, right? This has been his breakout year, 100%. For me, he's been their second best player behind Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And when you think he scored, he's he's managed to total three assists from left back since being moved there. That's that's really quite good. I'm 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 sure if he keeps getting the opportunity to develop his game at left back, that will that will amount to a lot more in in, in you know in the future. I guess I guess the the, the problem with Saka or that Saka has now is does he double down on his left back position? try and fight for the place against, I can imagine, what will be Kieran Tierney, um, who they signed in the summer and hasn't really been able to show anything yet because of injury? Or does he continue his development in where he grew in, in the Arsenal youth setup as a kind of advanced left winger or right winger? And that's his. that's going to be the big decision. Personally, I'd like to see him at left back. I think he's got all the physical attributes that you need there. He's quick, he's strong... He's good on the ball. He's great going forward. He's been quite solid defensively as well, a lot better than I thought he would originally be. Um, and I, I think he could genuinely contend for that left-back spot with Ben Chilwell in the England side in a, in, in a few years. Um, he really excites me, and I, I think it's nice to have it's nice to have a player who has really had a breakout year in this conversation, so that's why I've gone for um, Bakaya Saka. Saka, sorry. Yeah, I think that's a great argument for him. You know, I've enjoyed watching him um, since he's since he's come in the team. You know, it's a case of Arsenal have always had, you know, a, a reasonably strong conveyor belt of of academy graduates, and and he certainly appears to be um, the latest one. Yeah, right. This is going to be a really interesting poll. Such an interesting poll. Give him my favourite one, I think. Okay, so we'll start us off with the coach of the year. Who have you gone for? I didn't even have to think about this one. It, it is. I, I agree. It's going to be a really interesting poll to see who wins this. Um, but I think, in terms of surpassing expectations, this this manager has done that and to beyond. just an astronomical yeah. degree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's obviously Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. He has created the second strongest defensive team in the Premier League in their first season in the Premier League. He has innovated. A system I have never ever seen before with the overlapping centre backs um, that get playing down the wing, and they're in seventh. 
this Sheffield United team who didn't really bring in anyone last last summer other than um, Ollie McBurney, who, let's be honest, probably wasn't worth the, the, the transfer fee they paid, which I think was around 20 million. Yeah. I love these stories of the, these kind of um, promoted teams. And it's, it's, you know, the last team to do it, I suppose, was, was Wolves. But with, but with Wolves, I don't think anybody had that kind of fondness of them because of the amount of money they spent well yeah not only that but i think there's something british about the way united have, sheffield united have done it you know wolves went and got so many like players from portugal and all this sort of stuff and like no disrespect to them but they came in with a bit more flair and a bit more about them whereas sheffield united it's literally like john lund what on earth how's he scored two already in the premier league yeah absolutely i think i think um i think as well if i if i remember correctly they lined up for certainly the vast majority of the of, of the start before January with the same 11 week in week out of which all of them were British players which hadn't been done for I, I can't remember the the time frame that hadn't been done for a long long time yeah um, and the vast majority of them being English players you know and it's just it's just what you love to see this is this is what every football fan wishes their team was like a team of british player a team of british players who surpass all expectations players a unit incredibly well drilled um and that all comes down to the 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 master that has been chris wilder and you know what they love they love chris wilder up there he's a demigod absolute demigod and you you can you can absolutely see why so um yeah he i i appreciate the 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 argument you're about to make for for your pick but i i can't see past chris wilder for 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 manager of the year see this is really interesting because and i'm sorry to rain on your parade but i personally can't see anyone other than jurgen klopp winning it and and i love chris wilder and everything he's done and i think he's sensational let's just let's just take a step back for a second and look at what jurgen klopp has achieved with liverpool this year right he has Managed to take Liverpool 25 points clear of, of Pep Guardiola's Manchester City side. Now, you could say City have had an off year, but that's still unbelievable. He's won more Manager of the Month awards in a season already than ever done before, right? So if you're taking that track record and saying, surely the winner of Manager of the Year has got to be, in many respects, the person who's won the most Manager of the Month... Jürgen Klopp's won five already this year, and it's not even finished. So by just looking at that as a as a token, and also Chris Wilder hasn't won a Manager of the Month this year, which I think is surprising and I think is wrong. Um, when you look at Frank Lampard's won one and Sean Dyche has won one, I think I think you know Wilder should have had more more love there in that in that category. But still, you've got to look at Klopp and say if if he doesn't win Manager of the Year. On what he's achieved with Liverpool, a bit like daylight robbery. He couldn't have done any more, really, apart from not lose to Watford. He's juggled every. <laughs> it's true though, you know. And he's juggled every competition, the Club World Cup. He he won games, not even attending the game. I mean, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, I get I get the fairy tale argument for Wilder. I really, really do. But just it's not like Klopp, someone that's hated in the public eye, is you know either. We all love Klopp. We love his antics. We love the way he deals with the media and how he deals with the fans and everything like that. I still think it's not like you're going with your heart, which is Chris Wilder, and your head, which is Klopp. I think there's a lot of heart for me to to argue Klopp as the as the manager of the year or the coach of the year, certainly. So that's my pick. 
Yeah, and you know what? It's it's everything you've said spot on. Um, I, I suppose it just yeah. My my I I love a fairy tale. I love an underdog. Yeah, which is why I just I I, I just want Wilder to win to win this one. I, I suppose the only kind of slight I can't I don't know if I can call it that. On onto Klopp is that when you compare exceeding expectations between the two, Wilder is far far ahead than Klopp. You 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 knew that you knew that Liverpool were going to be battling for ninety five plus points again this year, and they're they're going to do it. That they, they could even break they could even break the the hundred mark for this for only the second time in the league's history. Perhaps it's the fact that Man City have been so bang average this year for their standard, of course. Um, that perhaps be why I've just forgotten about making an argument for Klopp and I but that could be a big compliment in itself yeah I mean my joust to that would be that Klopp has made his own expectations you know it's not like he came in this year and Liverpool were already a solid a solid football club who were going to go and win the league you know he 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 was the one who got them 97 points last year and and in many respects I don't want him to lose out on on his own expert, on the his own expectations that he has built, and the, and the foundation that he has built. If anything, he has surpassed expectations this season anyway, and they got they got ninety seven points last season. So, you know, I think I think it's got to be Klopp with Wilder as as the the as the deputy insurance option next in. <laughs> well, like like we said at the beginning of this um, the discussion around these two guys, though, is it's going to be an incredibly incredibly interesting watch on the polls over the week. Yeah, I might flip a coin. Who knows for who I go for. <laughs> anyway, uh, most improved player of the year. Two players we've spoken about a little bit, so we won't go into too much depth. Will, your argument? Uh, well, you say we've talked about them before, but you completely forgot about this guy. Well, yeah, I We've talked yeah. about right wing. So I've spoken about mine is... a bit, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep yeah. it brief. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I'll, I'll keep it brief as well. But it's, yeah, it's Adama Traore. He was notoriously someone that, similar to the point you made about Mane earlier when he was at Southampton, is... His head, da- his head down. He's got all the speed and power, dribbling the ball, but will run it out of play, kind of thing. You know, that's what he was known for, not having an end product whatsoever. But this season, he has developed that end product. You know, he's getting goals, he's getting assists, and he's arguably Wolves' most dangerous player moving forward. You know, not a player in the world I think could keep up with him for pace. Um, and the fact that he's now developed that end product, it. it shows what Barcelona must have seen in him when he was at um, La Messia. So, yeah, he's he's come on leaps and bounds. It would be really fun to see where his career goes from here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a case of if he can just polish the edges um, even more, then there's no reason why he can't be one day in the conversation similar to the one we've been having around Sadio Mane today. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, it's it, it's him. Cool. Um, and for me, I've gone for Scott McTominay. Um, the the arguments I'm making here are less stats based and more intangibles based, I guess. Um, in the in the sense that he's been so important to Manchester United's team this year. He won September Player of the Month and October Player of the Month um, for Manchester United. That is not for the whole Premier League. And he's improved in his contribution to goals and assists. He scored four goals this year, which for a holding midfielder is actually pretty decent. He's basically become the leader that they've needed in the centre of the park. Personally, I think he's a future Manchester United captain, and I know you know you heard it here first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I could I could genuinely see him leading the line, perhaps less of a Roy Keane, more of a Darren Fletcher, um, but you know a, a, a kind of 
doing a job type player, keeping everyone ticking. And I've been so impressed with him this year. Um, and then finally, we've got Super Sub of the Year. So, um, again, two very, very different players here. Will, who have you gone for? So, I'm just going to shout some names out to you. And I th- and, and you'll, you'll understand the direction I'm going to go when you hear these names. Yep. Javier Hernandez got is the first one. Yeah. Tim Cahill. Yeah. Right. And then you've got players like Jermaine Defoe. And then perhaps the most famous of them all, Oli Gunnar Yeah. These are the super subs of years gone by who have won games at the death. They, they're the players that the, the crowd start chanting for when they're sat on the bench. If, if the game's close or if you're a goal behind or if it's draw or if, if, if everything's level. Um, and if you think most recently, you could perhaps make that case for Olivier Giroud. Yes, definitely. Um, for, for, for Arsenal and Chelsea. So that when I think of super sub, I think of players in that mould, that striker that can come on and, and nick a goal to win games. So it might not be one that jumps out to many people, um, but my argument is going to be for Lise Mousse of, uh, of Sheffield United. Yeah, and before you go on, Will, um, the, what we took for this is it's quite hard Unlike the NBA, where players start on the bench every single game, um, in the Premier League, there's quite a lot of rotation. So what we've done for Super Sub of the Year is we said they need to have at least made, of the 27 games that have been played so far, at least 12 appearances off the bench, which both mine and your picks have done. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the, the, the point I'm going to make for, for Lise Mousse in, in the similar vein to, to the points I've just made around the, the, uh, the, the previous players that we just talked about is every goal that Lise Mousse least Mousse has scored this season have come in games where Sheffield United haven't lost. So they have either won the game or they have drawn it. They haven't lost a single game that um, Mousse scored in. And I think that's testament to what you want a super sub to do. You want him to come off the bench and you want him to score and you want him to win you a game or you want you want um you want to snatch a point from from the from the grasp of defeat. So um yeah it, I love I love I love seeing fans get excited when a player strips off and, and takes their warm-up jacket off and is getting ready and the, the the fourth official is readying the number on the board mm-hmm. um, yeah. and he he does that for for the the fans at Bramall Lane so yeah Lise Mousse <laughs> is my pick well this is something that's really I, I, I used to feel that I had that kind of emotional love and joy you know I remember when Aguero scored that goal I had a you know, I literally cried, and I'm not a Manchester City fan, and I just did it for the love of the game. And yet, what I'm finding in this podcast is I'm the heartless man who <laughs> doesn't understand, who doesn't understand the the emotional, you know, the emotional ecstasy of of a super sub coming on. Because who I went for was James Milner. That's who I went for as my super sub of the year. Now, I you know, I get the whole concept of someone coming on, winning you a football match, but in in essence, Liverpool haven't needed to bring on a player when a goal behind. They've needed a player to come on and shore up when they're a goal up. And that's that's what Milner has done all season. His versatility has been unquestionable, unparalleled, really, compared to anyone else in the league. They need a centre mid, James Milner. A left back, James Milner. Right back, James Milner. He can pretty much play anywhere. He can take a penalty. You think back to that massive game against Leicester where you know they were 1-1, um, Leicester and Liverpool were the two at the top and Liverpool needed that win to, to bridge a gap between the two of them. Milner comes on, um, or he may not have come on, actually he may have started that game, I'm not 100% sure, but he steps up in the 90th minute and buries a penalty and wins in the game. Um, and I think it's quite it's quite easy to forget those role players. 
such as James Milner, who maybe don't grab the headlines like I'm not saying Lise Musay necessarily has, but he's definitely been that saviour for Sheffield United in terms of scoring goals when it's mattered. Milner hasn't necessarily done that apart from that big penalty, but the amount that he's done for the for the team, he's been kicked out of, in many respects, the, the first team, I'd say, Fabinho, Henderson and Vijnaldum are, prob- are probably the most nailed on, possibly Oxlade-Chamberlain next if, if, if you're taking Vijnaldum out of that team. So he's by no means in the first team anymore, but he's still so crucial to that team. And that, that veteran uh, presence in the dressing room that, that I know... Um, Obviously, you you rate so highly, Will. So do I. Yeah. So that's that's why I've gone for James Milner. Um, I think, if in many respects, Super Sub of the Year is the perfect accolade for James Milner and his career. He's never he's never wanted that kind of limelight necessarily. He just wants to have that um, consistency, that dependability, and that's and that's why I've gone for him. He's one of the players that makes the ultimate sacrifice for the team. You know, it's a case of it doesn't matter about me. The personal accolades mean nothing. It, the, the team needs to win. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a mindset that's very, very difficult to come by in an industry full of egos. And I think the point you made around, you know, the, the, the player to come on to shore everything up and guarantee the win, Milner epitomises that completely. It's a case of the vast majority of the time. And um, I, I know, unfortunately, all too well as um, a Southampton fan that when you get a player like Romeu taking off his track uh tracksuit um to to come on the to come on the pitch everyone goes oh god we're gonna park the bus and just sit back for you know the next 20 minutes or so and try and try and get the win or try and get the draw and i think a lot of teams and a lot of fans have that feeling when they see that substitution being readied and to come on but with milner it's a case of if you see him coming on you're like yeah cool we've got this in the bag now there's no panic you know he's just the ultimate professional and he's so reliable and so dependable um that yeah he he's the person you want to come on yeah you know if if you're if you're winning by 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 a goal you don't it's not a case of you you're thinking just carry on attacking just carry on attacking you're thinking no look bring Milner on let's just you know calm everything down and just have him pulling the strings for the last 20 minutes um so yeah I really I really like that that pick and I, I i see definitely why um why you've done it so that kind of takes us to the end of end of this um and we've obviously spoken for a long time um but it's been incredibly enjoyable you know talking about these and having a debate on them what we're going to do and how this is going to work now is uh staggered over the next week or so we're going to be putting up some polls to see what you guys think um who should be given um that that accolade for for each of the different ones that we've we've um we've suggested and then next time on our next podcast, we will um, we'll let you know who, who who are the winners and who are the back four um, awards of the year or whatever we'll call it. We can think of something jazzy, I guess. Um, yeah, we, we can come up with a good name for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Give us a week. Yeah, that can be your yeah. job. You guys, you guys vote, and we'll and we'll try and think of something good. Um, so that really is 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 where where we're leaving it today. Um, so, will any final thoughts? No, I think it's a it's a great conversation to have. You know, especially considering the season isn't over yeah you know, it's, it's quite cool to have have this conversation now um whilst there's this kind of break to reflect on what's happened so far and and who knows perhaps it's a case of what as and when hopefully the season resumes and and, com- and gets completed we could look back and end up changing a lot of these um a lot of these names in these teams of course you've got the ones that are nailed on but you know those kind of debatable 
um, picks that we've made that we've talked about at length. It could be a case of in, in the next few months as and when football gets back up and running that, that those names get forced out for someone that steps up in the last few few um months of the season so yeah it's, it's been it's been really fun to de- to debate this today well all there really is left to say is thanks for listening uh, look out for the polls during the week uh, and head to the website for more content blogs and quizzes and uh, and follow us on twitter while you're at it see you next time goodbye